God, our Father, Lord, we come into your gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and your courts with praise, God. We are exceedingly grateful for what you have done for us. Oh, Lord, the joy of our salvation is so precious. We thank you. The peace that you have brought to our hearts is valuable to us, God. We praise you for your peace. We praise you that you are the king of glory and that you reign from your throne on heaven and that indeed you are in control. We praise you. We rest, God, in your peace. We rest in the fact that Jesus has borne our sins in his body on the tree and that, God, nothing is left for us but blessing. Nothing is left for us but to be fashioned into Jesus' image and to become like him and to experience his love and grace and your holy presence for all eternity. God, we praise you and we thank you and we glorify you for your goodness. We glorify you for the precious blood of Jesus which washes away all of our sins. O oh Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us to glorify you. O oh Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see you, that we might enjoy you, and that we might indeed live a devoted life of love to you and to our neighbor God. Help us, we pray. We thank you for the privilege that we have to look into your word today. We ask that you would strengthen our faith and that, Lord, that you would cause us to uh, draw nearer and nearer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. There's a new handout today. If uh, you don't have it, it's page 61 and 62. And Lord willing, we'll be there shortly. I want to read this lyrics of this song to you. The gospel brings tidings. How many of you have heard that song? The gospel brings tidings. It's on the Red Mountain Church CD called Help My Unbelief. And uh, it's a Gadsby. It was, uh, it was written in the 19th century, early 19th century. Here's what he wrote. The gospel brings tidings, glad tidings indeed, to mourners in Zion who want to be freed from sin and Satan and Mount Sinai's flame, the good news of salvation through Jesus the Lamb. What sweet invitations the gospel contains to men heavy laden with bondage and chains. It welcomes the weary to come and be blessed with ease from their burdens in Jesus to rest. For every poor mourner who thirsts for the Lord a fountain is opened in Jesus, the Word. Their poor parched conscience to cool and to wash from guilt and pollution, 
from dead works and dross. A robe is provided, their shame now to hide, in which none are clothed but Jesus' bride. Though it be costly, yet is the robe free, and all Zion's mourners shall decked with it be. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, it is a glorious gospel. Do you agree? And uh, we've been talking about how we actually take the truths about the atonement and what Christ has accomplished in his cross work and how we apply that to our daily life. And we kind of went through some of the aspects of the nature of the atonement and talked about how that should transform our thinking in, in, in how we relate to God and how we relate to others. And uh, so, if you will, trying to get it even more practical and, and, and trying to, to understand this, this truth, we have this idea about preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. In other words, reminding ourselves of all the high and the holy and the immutable truths that are contained in the gospel. So that our mind is continually renewed with what has been God's central focus and purpose for creating us and creating the world. And so if the Bible is the record of God's uh, history of redemption and how he has accomplished that, and if the cross is indeed, and it is indeed, the central focus of everything that God has done in Christ... If Jesus, the person, his life and his death is the revelation of the glory of God, then that ought to be to us the central theme and purpose of our lives. And this is why we need to refocus again each new day on the cross and what God has done. Because at the cross, everything is put back in order. At the cross, we see everything rightly. For example, we look at sin, and at the cross, we see its deadly consequences. Uh, for instance, when we consider how God loves us, we look at the cross and we see the supreme manifestation of the love of God. When we consider the glory and the majesty of the universe that God has made, and we look at the cross and we consider the wisdom of God in all that he has done in Christ. There we, we see the wisdom of God in a way where words could never express such high and holy things as God has done in Christ. Amen? And the wisdom of God in, 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 in manifesting his glory in this way. And so, if you will, all of these attributes of God, they, they come to us at the cross with piercing clarity. At the cross, we, we see a depth of meaning in the character of God like no other place. Are you with me? And so, if you will, this is, the, this is the central way that we relate to God. We relate to God through the cross. And we all know that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, right? It's a relationship with the holy God through his son, Jesus Christ. And when, when we say through his son, Jesus Christ... What we mean is we're, we're able to have that relationship with God through the cross work of Christ at Calvary. Amen? 
That is the door that opens up reconciliation between man and God. Are you with me? Okay, so then, what we're saying is, is that this, is, this also defines the way we live our life. It defines the way we view our life. It defines the way that we treat other people. It defines the way that we relate to God. And the New Testament is full of references that talk about how the Christian has a mystical union with Christ that they live out in their daily life, which is defined by who Christ is and what he has done in revealing the character and the goodness of God. Are you with me? So if you will, Jesus in his life and Jesus in his death and Jesus in his resurrection define the context in which we live our life as a Christian. Are you with me? The cross brings meaning and purpose to our life. Amen? Okay, so... In, in, uh, in so applying then the cross to our daily life, we need to do this thing. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because we're still in a struggle against sin and we still have sin and temptation and we still possess a sinful nature and we're, we're in the process of being sanctified. And so we're at war with the world and the flesh and the devil. The influences of the world work together with our flesh and with the devil to draw us into temptation to sin against God. Amen? And so we're at war with those things. And the Bible tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and to consider the truth of God in light of everything that Christ has done and that that changes the whole context in which we respond to the circumstances of our life. Amen? And that's what makes a Christian different from a non-Christian. A Christian has their entire worldview totally transformed when they come to Christ. Amen? Are you with me? So the context in which we view our world, the context in which we view our relationships, the context that, that causes our thinking to drive the way we behave and the way we speak and the way we act and the way we think is defined by the cross. Are you with me? And... Jesus is now our Lord. Our, our life is defined by Jesus and His righteousness. Our life is not defined by sin and by selfishness, which is the way we once lived before we came to Christ. We were ruled by our passions, by our lusts. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We followed after the prince of the power of the air. And we were, like all the rest of the people in the world, by nature, objects of God's wrath. But, but, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ and seated us in heavenly places. He gave us the mind of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And he gave us a new context, a new view of what life is all about and what, why we're here, what the purpose of our existence is. And all of those things, family, are defined by the cross. So when we talk about these glorious realities of what Christ has done in the cross, we have to see how those apply to the way we behave in our daily life. Are you with me? And I'm going to show you just a, a small section in the New Testament, which is very practical, where Paul says, this is what Christ did, and because of that, this is how you ought to behave. Are you with me? Okay, so... I do want to just briefly kind of go over this section, though, on preaching the gospel to yourself daily. 
Because I don't want you to just forget about all those things we talked about for many, many weeks in describing what Jesus has done. You know, those aren't just a bunch of theological truths for you to stuff away in your theological journal somewhere. Are you with me? They're very practical. They're very practical. And so uh, we've been talking about how we would apply those. But let's talk just a minute about preaching the gospel to yourself daily. Dear friends, if the cross and atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ is the central event in all of human history, and it is, then shouldn't it also be the central theme of our daily lives? Yes, indeed, is the answer to that. As we seek to glorify and enjoy God all the days of our life, we will never see and appreciate the glory of God as clearly as we do when we reflect on Calvary's cross. There is there is the blazing center of the glory of God, as John Piper has pointed out to us, that at the cross is where the glory of God is manifested in all of his attributes. Most intensely and most clearly. Think about that. There we see the attributes of God with piercing clarity. There is cause for worship and adoration toward God and His Son, our blessed Savior Jesus Christ. Consider how Paul saw his life as defined by the very gospel itself. Now think about this statement that Paul makes in light of the cross. This is what he says, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ... And it is, I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Now, do you see in that verse of Scripture how Paul says, My life is now defined by the gospel and the cross. Do you see that? Paul is saying... I've been crucified with Christ. Not only did Jesus die on the cross, but I died with him there. That's the context that Paul views his life. I've been crucified with Christ, he said. Furthermore, he says, it's no longer I who live. In other words, Paul is a dead man. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So how does Paul see his life? He sees Paul as dead and Jesus as living through him. You see that? How's that for a new world view? Are you with me? So that the things that Paul thinks should be consistent with the things that Jesus thinks. And the things that Paul says should be consistent with the things that Jesus says. Since Jesus is speaking his words through Paul. And since Jesus is thinking his thoughts through Paul's mind. And since Jesus is working his works through Paul's hands. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And he says this, just to clarify, the life I now live in the flesh, he says. I live by faith in the Son of God. And how does he define that? Who loved himself and delivered himself up for me. He says, I live my life defined by this truth. What truth, Paul? That Jesus died for me. Amen? You see that? That's an amazing statement. 
This verse of scripture is an amazing, amazing statement. And family, I want to tell you, this is where freedom is. If you grasp these words that Paul is saying, and you find yourself with a supernatural ability to apply these to your life, this is where the greatest freedom lies. It lies in being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Amen? Because anybody who sins is a slave of sin, says Jesus. Right? But family, we've been set free from sin. Right? For the law of sin and death, right, has been overcome by Jesus dying on the cross. And we have been set free. That's what the scripture says, Romans 8, 1 through 3. So to Paul, the cross was very personal. Look, look at his words. And it should be to us. Think about what Paul is saying. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is I who no longer live. These are powerful words indeed. But he goes on. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. You see that? Remember how we were talking about that personal element of how the cross is a very personal thing? Right? Paul says his own personal life is defined by the cross of Christ Paul's life is defined by the gospel. The life I live, he says, is defined by what Jesus did for me. Oh, dear reader, how we need to be reminded of this every day. Each and every day we need to come to God through the cross and see all of his beauty and the design of our lives as fulfilled in and through our Lord Jesus and what he has done for us. C.J. Mahaney outlines in his book, Five ways we can keep the cross central in our daily lives. Here they are with a few comments from both him and myself. And so CJ reminds us of these things we can do to keep the gospel central in our life on a regular basis. He says, memorize the gospel. And so memorizing scripture about God's grace and forgiveness in Christ is a powerful way to be always and continually reminded of what he has done. And so there are passages like this in Galatians 2.20 that we can remember and they cause us to think about the cross. And so when we go through the busyness of our day and we face all the troubles and the trials and the joys and the sorrows of a day, we can consider that in light of the cross. And so, you know, when we're walking through our day just uh, happy-go-lucky and uh, somebody comes along and does something to hurt us or offend us. And then we think about the cross and we have a whole new context in how we respond to people, don't we? Whereas if we're just going through our life considering the flesh and considering how we've been hurt and considering what my rights and privileges are as a human being, right? Then before long, we're taking up the sword with our neighbor, aren't we? Amen? Are you with me? And so the gospel defines how we respond to people. The gospel defines how we respond to our spouse. The gospel defines how we treat our wife. The the gospel defines how we treat our husband every day. The gospel defines the way we live our life inside our home and how we relate to all the relationships that God has given us in our life. 
It defines how we treat people at work. It defines how we respond to people all around us every day we live. The cross gives us a whole new meaning on how we live in relationship to other people. And so we remember the word of God, which causes us to consider anew the cross. Are you with me? I don't know about you, but I, I, I have so many blessings in my life. I'm constantly thanking God for all of the things I have. I go throughout my day just just praising God and thanking Him. I mean, just things like hot water, you know, for me are just such a blessing, you know. And, and uh, uh, you know, I just, I just thank God for those things. And, and, and I realize that if, if I got what I deserved, <laughs> I'd get some hot water all right. Are you with me? But because of what Jesus has done for me, I can stand in a shower and I can take a, a hot shower and how soothing it is to my tired, sore body. Are you with me? Do you understand that's a privilege that was earned for me at the cross by Jesus? Are you with me? <laughs> uh, and so, I, you know, here's just this, just this practical, everyday, simple thing like a shower. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is that the only reason I'm able to do that is because Jesus died for me. You understand common grace? Even though sinners take showers too. Common grace, as we went through when we studied the atonement, was purchased at the cross. Because if God gave us what we deserve, we'd be toast the first time we sinned. Are you with me? So... We memorize the gospel. We memorize the truth about what God has done. And this, if you will, will season our prayer life so that we can pray according to the gospel. We can approach the throne of grace with the idea that we there have the unmerited favor of God. It wasn't anything in us but God's gracious provision for us. And so we come to the the throne and we have this uh, this heart of thanksgiving and a heart filled with praise because of what God has done for us. Amen? And it seasons our whole prayer life. And so as we approach God in prayer, let us be reminded just how heinous our sin is and how glorious is the life and death of Christ to overcome it. This will surely enrich our prayer life like no other thing can. Think about it. When you come before God and, and, and you think about your sin and how heinous it is. This is how heinous your sin is. Jesus has to die. Are you with me? And so another practical way to apply this is to sing the gospel and to, to have songs that we sing. You know, the, the scripture tells us to, to make melodies in our heart to God with hymns and songs and spiritual songs. And, and to, 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 to sing about the things that God has done in Christ. Each day is another opportunity to celebrate and relish in the goodness of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus. I mean, I don't know about you what it means to enjoy God. But when I think about what God has done for me in Christ, my heart is raptured away. I, 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 it, to me, it's such a glorious, beautiful thing. To see what God has done in Christ. It makes me want to sing. Are you with me? You know, I I have such a joy that's been given to me by the Holy Spirit. 
that I just want to sing. Are you with me? You know, that's what the saints do when they get together. They sing. They sing to the glory of God about Jesus the Lamb. Amen? Are you with me? Let me tell you, Christian life is not mundane. Christian life is filled with the glory of God. And if you haven't realized that, your eyes aren't open and your ears need cleaning out. Are you with me? Are you with me? (laughs) Somebody say amen and cut a rug or something, please. (laughs) Uh, Number four, review how the gospel has changed you. You know, think about how far you've come. Think, think about what God has done in your life. Because if you're a born-again Christian, let me tell you, God has done some amazing things. Amen? And there's something to celebrate. <laughs> there's, there's something to review. Are you with me? You know how God is telling the children of Israel, even as late in the, in the prophets and in the Psalms, he's telling them, Uh, Tell of the mighty works of the Lord. Tell them from generation to generation to recount them again and again and again to your heritage. Right? The great things which God has done. Right? And the Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. The psalmist writes. Amen? And how he recounts the things that God has done for him. And I don't know about you, family, but man, I, I came from a desperately, desperately dark, despairing life before I came to Christ. And, and you know, what God has done in Christ in my life is, is nothing less than powerful. Are you with me? And this is what we should be experiencing. We should be experiencing power over sin and power over death. And power over the devil's work in our life. Are you with me? That's what born again Christians experience as normal. Right? And we should be able to look back on our life and we should be able to see how God through the Holy Spirit has been transforming our life. Little by little. Sometimes it's just little baby steps over a long period of time. Are you with me? But let me tell you something. The gospel transforms. And the Holy Spirit, that's his ministry, to sanctify us and to conform us into the image of Christ. Amen? God, help us to stop murmuring and complaining like those children of Israel in that desert. And to start lifting up the high praises of God and thanking him for all the good things he has done. Are you with me? We need a new set of gospel glasses by which we view our life, don't we? Don't we? God forbid that you should complain. If you got what you deserve, let me tell you something. You'd be real thankful for what you could have at the cross. That you should murmur and complain about the cup that God has given you to drink. I'm telling you, it is blasphemy for a Christian to live a life filled with complaining. And God, why would you do this to me? God, why do I have these circumstances? Who are you to mention such a thing before the throne of grace? Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Listen, (laughs) we don't enter into God's presence with grumbling and murmuring. This is how the psalmist writes it. I will enter thy gates with thanksgiving in my heart, and I will enter thy courts with praise. Because that's what God is worthy of. God is worthy of thanksgiving, and God is worthy of praise. Are you with me? Now, let me qualify that. I understand suffering is heavy at times. And there is a way and a time to pour out our complaint before God. Okay? But it's not with clenched fist and tight teeth. Are you with me? It's with a broken heart of humility. That's how we pour out our heart before God. And that's how we bring our complaint to the Most High. And you know what? Because His grace is so superabounding over our sin, God looks upon even our complaint with holy love if it's offered in humility. But when it comes from the proud heart, let me tell you, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Amen? You with me? I think that's pretty practical. Well, and then lastly here, study the gospel. Study the gospel. And so I've provided some resources there, but think about how much there is to learn. You know, I I think we just kind of touched on it here. And even though we've been, you know, looking at it and examining all these things about it, we really have just kind of been introduced to these concepts. Think about how much there is to know and to learn and how deep are the riches of the glory of God at the cross. Are you with me? And so, if you will, we want to study the gospel. And I think really the best way of doing this is memorizing the texts of Scripture which talk about the gospel, so that thy word is hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That thy word is hidden in my heart that it might define the way I think and it might define the way I live and it might define the way that I view my world and it might define the way that I, I, I view my relationship with other people. Amen? God help us. God help us. So then, moving on here, I want to... kind of show you how, based on what the gospel is, okay, and if we're preaching that gospel to ourselves on a daily basis, then that is what redefines the way we live our life, okay? So I want to get real practical and kind of show you how the scripture talks about taking the gospel reality and applying it to our life. And I want to start by by uh, having you consider this chart that we have. Now, what did I do with that thing? Oh, okay. See, it's hiding from me. That the gospel is objective reality. And maybe you're kind of still scratching your head. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I want to try to explain it to you. The gospel is objective reality. This is to say that the righteousness which was merited by the life and death of Christ is outside of us. It is immutable, that means it can't change, it's unchanging, and it's fixed. Okay, are you with me? The righteousness, the righteousness which was merited by the life and death of Christ. You understand? This righteousness, this righteousness, 
that was merited by Jesus. Okay? This is Jesus' righteousness. It's not your righteousness. You understand? What is your righteousness is Jesus. And he is righteous. Are you with me? And he is outside of us in the sense that his righteousness is not created in any way by something we have done. His righteousness is what it is because of who he is. Are you with me? His righteousness is perfect because he has fulfilled both the penal sanctions of the law and the perceptive requirements of the law. So that he has fully met the law of God and its requirements. Therefore, he's perfectly righteous in the sight of God as a man. The man Christ Jesus is perfectly righteous in the sight of God. Are you with me? So when we talk about the righteousness of God that we have in the gospel, we're talking about something that comes through the merit of Christ through his life and his death on the cross. Are you with me? And this is a very, very important thing to understand, okay? Let me try to explain it. Our right standing with God does not change or shift with our feelings, our circumstances, or performance, but it is in fact that which rests solely on the merits of Christ and His perfect righteousness. You understand what we're saying? Our righteousness, our right standing with God, our justification before God, rests solely on the merit of what Jesus has done and who He is. Are you with me? That means that no matter what I do, it doesn't change the character and the nature of the righteousness that Jesus possesses. And whether I have strong faith to lay hold of that, or if I have the little tiniest faith in the world to lay hold of that, it doesn't change the quality of the righteousness that Jesus possesses. It's objective. It's outside of me. I can't affect a change in it. It is what it is. It's righteous, it's adequate, it's complete, it's perfect in the sight of God. Are you with me? Okay? So it's in this sense, it is outside of us, even though Christ is in us. Okay? But that's speaking about a different thing. What I'm talking about is the fact that 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 righteousness is something that is in Christ and is objective. It's not subject to anything. It's not subject to what I think about it. It's not subject to whether I sin today or don't sin today. It's not subject to whether I believe with all the faith that is within me or if I'm barely clinging to the old rugged cross with a few fingernails left. Are you with me? It doesn't change the value of that cross. And it doesn't change the value of that perfectly righteous life that Christ lived. Are you with me? Okay. This is why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that Jesus himself is our righteousness. He himself is our righteousness and sanctification. Therefore, our right standing with God is in Christ and always steadfast, unchanging, and adequate. Do you understand what we're saying? I want to show you this word. Adequate. Is that right? The righteousness of Christ is adequate. 
for you. Perfectly. It's not short. One jot or one tittle. Not one iota. Are you with me? It's adequate. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You understand? Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus Himself is our righteousness. Jesus Himself is our sanctification. Jesus Himself is our redemption. That's what the Scripture says. Okay? If you are in Christ, you have trusted in what he has done by his perfect life and death and not in your own works or performance. You follow me? What happened when you believed the gospel? Did did you believe that somehow now you're good and God ought to accept you? Is that what happened? Oh, uh, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm going to change my behavior. Now you'll accept me. Is that how that worked? Family, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, God, I'm a wretched sinner. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Are you with me? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Are you with me? That's the gospel. The gospel isn't that you stack up. On the contrary, you don't stack up. On the contrary, you have inflamed the holy anger of a holy God and you deserve damnation and death. But God, who is rich in love and mercy, made us alive together with Christ. We were born again by the Holy Spirit because God came along and raised us from the dead. Are you with me? It's not based on our works. It's not based on our performance. It's based on Jesus' works and Jesus' performance. You follow me? So then, Christ is our righteousness and we have believed in him. You understand? We're trusting in what Christ has done. That does not change with anything. What Christ has done is fixed It's immutable, and it is not subject to anything. Rather, it is objectively a perfect, holy righteousness before God. Are you with me? Okay. Therefore, our faith has laid hold of Jesus and his perfection, and our righteousness before God is not subject to anything except that fixed reality that Christ is righteous. The righteousness which we possess is a foreign righteousness which is not our own, but in Christ and is complete and adequate. I'm sorry, but is Christ's and is complete and adequate. Okay, so this is the way the Bible describes the righteousness that we have in Christ. It's a righteousness that comes from God. Are you with me? This righteousness, the Bible says, is from God. It's not from earth. It doesn't come from us. Are you with me? It comes from God. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3.9. He says that, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, 
Paul's saying, I'm not trusting in something I have done. It's not my own. It's not a righteousness of my own. But that which is through faith in Christ, listen, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So what happens is, when we have faith in our Lord Jesus, through that faith, we believe in what He has done. And it's the gift that God gives to us. It's a gift. So if I give you a gift, right, it's outside of, of you and I'm giving it to you. It's not, the gift is not you. The gift is not something you earned or merited. It's a free gift. It's something outside of you that comes to you. Are you with me? Oh, look at that. So the idea is, is that it's outside of you. It comes from God and it now it belongs to you. Go ahead. You can take it, brother. Are you with me? You understand? It's a gift. It comes from God. It's perfect. You can't change it. It's not subject to how you feel about it. I understand your assurance is very much subject to how you feel about it. This is why you got to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Because you wake up and you're still a wretched sinner at war with sin. <laughs> right? And you're thinking, my God, when is this war ever going to end? Right? I don't know about you. I get tired of making battle with sin. I can't do it in the flesh. I can only do it in the strength that he provides. Amen? And I, you know, I find myself despairing over how weak I am in the flesh. How about you? Right? But you know what? Jesus conquered my despair at the cross. My sins are washed away. I'm free again. I'm new again. I think I remember the cross. The next moment is new. Amen? Are you with me? It's a fountain that wells up and it just continues to wash me. It continues to cleanse me, right? Right? If we walk in the light as He is in the light, right? The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Are you with me? It's a continual, constant cleansing. Our faith is placed in an historical fact which has happened and is accomplished. That is, that Jesus Christ lived and perfectly righteous life in my place and that He died to absorb the wrath of God for me and these He both accomplished completely and perfectly. You understand? What I'm believing in is something that Jesus already did. It's done. It was done before I was ever born. It was a completed, objective, historical fact. I'm believing in a historical truth. Something that actually happened. What happened? The Lamb of God died on the cross to take away my sins. It's a done deal. Are you with me? That's, that's, that's how come there isn't anything I can do to change it. It's an objective reality. It doesn't change. It's not subject to anything. It's accomplished. It is finished. Amen? Okay. The resurrection is proof of the fact that it was accepted by the Father and that he did indeed triumph over sin and death. Okay? You understand Jesus was raised on the third day? You know what that means, right? It means that death couldn't hold him. The consequences of sin could not affect decay on his body. Are you with me? The resurrection is proof 
that the cross affected what God intended. Are you with me? That's what the resurrection is. It's proof. The grave could not hold him because the effectual power of his life and death does much more abound over sin and death. Therefore, the life and death of our Lord is an historical fact which is then outside of us and objective. It is not subject to any other thing which can change its merit or value, but is in fact a reality which stands fixed in the heavens, unmovable and complete. Because of this objective reality, we confess that our salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is to say that we are saved by God because God is rich in love toward us and gives us favor which we have not merited. But rather, in Christ only, we have favor with God, and this is applied to us by simply trusting in what he has done for us. Are you with me? This is what we mean. When we say salvation is by grace alone, you know what we're saying, right? It means we didn't merit it. We didn't do anything to earn it. God came along and gave it to us as a free gift, right? And he gave that gift to us, which we receive by faith, which God gives to us. He gives us, this is not of yourselves, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? And what is the gift that God is giving us that we get unmerited and by faith? What is that gift? It's the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And only in Jesus Christ alone does that righteousness come to anyone. Because that righteousness is a foreign righteousness that is not our own, which comes from God and is on the basis of faith. Are you with me? So what am I, why am I harping on this? Because, family, do you know what this does for your assurance of your salvation? <laughs> you don't have to struggle with fear and doubt about the grave. Jesus has overcome the grave. If you're in Christ, let me tell you, you're more than a conqueror. And nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not famine or nakedness or, or, or anything, whether life or death or demons or things high or things low, you name it. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the Bible says. That God's love in Christ is with you no matter what you face. God is with us. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Amen? And let me tell you, every bit of it is designed by God for our good. Even the worst things work for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Amen? That's what I'm telling you. God has nothing left but good designs of blessing and good providence in your life. I was telling somebody yesterday at the yard sale, I said, good providence. However, all providence is good. Let me tell you, even the day of disaster for the wicked is good providence. And the wicked perish because God is good.
How much more? How much more the things that we face in our life that cause us to trust even deeper and cling with more strength to Christ? How much more are those things the good providence of God for us? That's what the Bible says. It says that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. It doesn't say all good things. <laughs> it says all things. That means the bad things too. God is using the bad things for our good, right? We have a whole new view. Listen, listen. We have a whole new view of suffering in the gospel. Which is what the wicked don't have. The unbelieving don't have any hope. The only hope they have is the grave. But the Christian has the hope of glory. Are you with me? I mean, you can't get me out of this place fast enough. The only reason I want to stay here, right, is to continue to serve Christ and to continue to love my family and care for those people that God's put in my life. Are you with me? Other than that, man, I don't like this place. I want out of here. This is not my home. I'm just passing through here. I'm just a stranger. Are you with me? There's too much conflict and fighting. There's too much pain and sorrow and grief. Too many tears. Painful tears. They hurt. I'm looking for a different city, not one like this city. Are you with me? So then, therefore, we can derive from this objective reality a sound and tremendous assurance of God's love and favor for us. God only designs that which is good for the Christian and tends to our benefit and blessing. Even the worst circumstances of our lives work together for our good because God causes all things to work together for good. If God would not spare his own son, but would give him in sacrifice to justify us, will he not also graciously give us all things? What more could God do to prove his love and favor for us? I know it's hard to believe. It's really hard to believe. For, for many of us, that God has only designs of good and blessing for us. Because we're so used to being doled out curses from the world we live in. It's a fallen place. It's full of thorns and thistles. Amen? But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's causing everything to work together for our good. And that he gave the supreme sacrifice, his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the most valuable thing in the world, to die for our sins. And the Bible reasons this way. If God is for us in such a way, who can be against us? Are you with me? Romans 8, 31 and following. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how he not also with him freely give us all things. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? 
God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Here's the deal. If God is going to give Jesus to die for our sins, isn't he going to give us everything else? Isn't, aren't we going to have his favor now? I mean, why did he die? He died so he could give us his favor. And Jesus did die, and now that's exactly what we have. The favor and the blessing and the privilege to be sons of the Most High God. Amen? It's a glorious reality. What shall we say then in response to this? How should we face our daily life in regard to this reality of God's love and favor for us? We should live our life in view of what God has done and live in the fullness of the blessing he has worked with a devoted life of love toward God and thanksgiving for his marvelous grace. Here's how we ought to respond. We ought to respond with a life of devoted love toward God. Our life now ought to be defined by love toward God. You understand what that means? It means we go through our day praising God and thanking God for His goodness at the cross. And if you can't do that, it's because you're not preaching the gospel to yourself every day. You're not reminding yourself of the depth and the heinous, wicked plight of your sin. You're not reminding yourself of the value of the death of Jesus to bring to you the joy and the peace and the glory and the hope of the kingdom of God which you now possess. You see, you've got to remind yourself of this again and again and again. We, we, we get so wrapped up in the flesh, we get so wrapped up in the difficult circumstances of our life and we forget everything that God has done for us. It's a glorious reality. But if, if, if we don't consider it again and again, we get all tripped up by the flesh. We get all wrapped up in the despair and the darkness of the fallen world around us. Or we start thinking we deserve better. I deserve better, God. This is where gr- grumbling, murmuring, and complaining comes from. We actually think God ought to treat us better. Let me tell you something. We are sorely, sorely misunderstanding the truth about our existence before God when we think God owes us something. We have a little pity party. Right? Because you know why? Because our pride is stacked up to the mountains. You know, really, you know, low self-esteem. You know what that is, right? It's really pride stacked up as high as the mountains get. That's what it is. It's selfishness. We don't need self-esteem. We need Christ-esteem. Are you with me? You understand? And then when we see ourselves through the cross, we see how valuable we are before God. <laughs> but family, it's not, it's not out of a sense of entitlement. Let me tell you, you are not entitled to the blessing of God. I know you live in America, so, you know, we tend to think we're entitled to all kinds of rights and privileges. But we forget the gospel. The gospel is Jesus is on the tree, dying, a bleeding God. Why should Jesus have to die for you? You understand? I don't mean to be mean. I don't mean to sound angry. I mean to rock your conscience to understand. 
It is a great privilege to be forgiven of your sins by the free merit and grace of God in Christ. Are you with me? There's no greater privilege in all the world. God forbid that we should have a sense of entitlement before him, that he owes us something. Are you with me? Namely, a better set of circumstances than we have. You know what Job said. In faith, in faith, in the the Redeemer, you know what Job said? This is what he said. Even though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Job saw his life by faith in the Son of God. And he knew that God was good. And he knew that God's good grace was his. And he could make a statement like that. In the darkness and despair of some of the deepest circumstances of anybody we could possibly imagine. Are you with me? Kind of makes my suffering look really light and really momentary. Amen? But God's grace is marvelous. It's amazing. And you know what? Even in the darkest valley, he's with me. He's there with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. You know, the way he disciplines me and the way he guides me, that comforts me. Because I know he's with me and I know he's caring for me. And you know what he's doing? He's eradicating the sin from my heart so that his peace can rule there. Are you with me? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for these glorious realities that are in Christ Jesus. We thank you for all that he has done. And God, I pray that you would cause us to see with new eyes the life that we now live, living by faith in Jesus who died for each one of us. I pray, God, that the cross would define the way we live. It would define the way we look at our relationships, that it would define the way we see our circumstances and view our world. We thank you for your goodness to us, and we pray that you would strengthen our faith and that you would help us, Lord, to enjoy you more and more each and every new day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.